0: Are you all ready for the Word? You've got your Bibles, got your notebooks? Great, that's good. Uh, let me just say, uh, my name's Adam, I'm one of the leaders here. We have a great team of leaders here at Sunny Hill Ferndown, and it's great to... S- yeah, woo, who to scream then? That was nice. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Let's scream. Uh, we have a great team of leaders here at Sunny Hill Ferndown. Woo! <laughs> Yeah, um, and yeah, we've got some great things going on. We're looking forward to the, the Christmas program, the carol service, the Christingle, especially. It's going to be at, ha- uh, at Ham Preston All Saints Church. It's, I went and had a look at it this week. Man, it's a beautiful building. It's like it's like three thousand years old or something. No, it's not quite that old, but it's like it's so old. It's um, it's it's so old. It has no toilet. In fact, that's not true. It does have a toilet, but it's a shed out the back, all right? I would recommend that you maybe do everything you need to do before you come. We will be providing torches for you because it's going to be quite dark. But yeah, 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 exactly. I'll put some fairy lights up to make it nice. <laughs> Spray a bit of scent, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful building and we want to fill that place, don't we? So if you can take some leaflets with you, and if you can maybe deliver it to your neighbors, you know, open, you know knock on the door, say, why don't you come to this Chris Dingle service? People will come. Uh, and we're not allowed to have candles this year, but we're going to have even something even better. We're going to have oranges with glow sticks. Oh, no. The insurance company have said no more candles, too many children's hair setting on fire. So, uh, not us, not us, we didn't do that, sorry. You dropped your candle. Yeah, nearly burnt the place down. Thanks. That's good. <laughs> In fact, John. John, give us a wave. John at the back. John joined us for our first, for our Christingle service last year. That was the first service he came to. And this year, he's going to help with welcoming people as well. So we're very excited about that. All right. Let me get on. Uh, Stop rattling on. Um, we've come to the end of our current series in Acts okay we're going to pick it up again I know we're only kind of halfway through the book we're up to uh, chapter 11 but we're going to stop here take a pause for a little while and we'll pick it up again sometime in 2024 but we're going to finish up chapter 11 today and chapter 11 It feels like I say this every time. It's a bit of a defining moment in the early church, but I feel like the whole of the book of Acts is full of defining moments, isn't it? We look at it because it it gives us a template of how we, as a church, should be uh, kind of moving and 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 praising and growing and being healthy. Um, but chapter 11 is no different. It's a defining moment. It was a defining moment when it happened. It was a defining moment when Dr. Luke wrote it down, recorded it, and it's, and it's, a, and it's helpful for us today. There are stuff that's written, you know, 2,000 years ago that is still helpful for us uh, today. It's still having an effect. So as always, we're going to start with our key verse, which is Acts 1 verse 8, we're going to activate uh, this morning, Acts 1 verse 8, which is, but you will receive power when, I'm not sure if it's plugged in, Uh, is it plugged in the thing? Uh, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, this is what Jesus said. There was a period of time before the time he was resurrected from the dead. There were like 40 days before he then ascended back to heaven. And this is one of the th- He said a lot of things. This is one of the things he said. And in this statement, there are a couple of promises. The first promise is, and it's not just for the disciples there and then. This is a promise for us as well. Like you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's the first promise. You will receive power when your Holy Spirit comes on you. you, uh, He would send his Holy Spirit to empower us, to give us supernatural wisdom, to give us boldness, to give us a divine connection to God, to give us discernment, to give us influence, to give us power. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for, to give us the power of God inside us. That was his first promise. And the second promise is that this power would enable us to be witnesses. It will enable his first disciples to be witnesses from Jerusalem, through Judea, through Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But it enables us to be witnesses as well. It will give us boldness, courage, it will give us the words that we should say in order that we can be the witnesses that he called us to be. And we've seen the fulfillment of these two promises pretty much all the way through the book of Acts. Starting on Acts Uh, Chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when you've got all those believers waiting in the upper room. They're praying, they're worshipping together, they're waiting for the promise of God. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them, and we know they all, you know, there's signs and there's wonders. They all rush out the upper room into the city, and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus and are baptised on that day. Pretty amazing. Historians and scholars tell us that within six months of that day, the church in Jerusalem had grown to many tens of thousands of people. That is the extent of the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, actually not the extent, it shows a portion of the power of the Holy Spirit that so 3,000 people on the day and many tens of thousands of people in the weeks and months afterwards. And I want us to imagine for a moment, could you imagine, could you imagine that God would show up here today like that? I think he already has. I think the Holy Spirit has been here this morning. We've experienced him in worship. Could you imagine that we were able to utilize that power to that same effect as they did then? What would that look like? How would that change us as individuals? Would it mean that we would kind of burst out of this room and go into kind of Ferndown and West Moors and Verwood and Longham and Wimborne and all the areas around and actually change change our world? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that's available to us. And that would be something. Is that the prayer that we're making? Are we praying prayers like, God fill me with your power use me that I might reach hundreds of people so that you know, I may be a witness to my town to my city to my region or are we content with prayers that say something like god can i have a parking space <laughs> or god i've got a bit of a cold Oh, God, you know, change my neighbor. You know, where, where is our level of, of contentment? I do think that we often underexpect and underutilize the power of the Holy Spirit. When we see the power of the Holy Spirit working in the book of Acts, it's not just a nice story. It's there to inspire us. It's there to go, ah, that's what that's supposed to look like when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. What are we doing about that? I wonder whether we totally underestimate who the Holy Spirit is, who that we have actually living inside. And I was trying to think of some kind of analogies that we could use to help us to kind of grasp this. And I was thinking, it would be like having access, like somebody giving us the keys to the Bank of England vault. <laughs> yeah? And yet, every day, we just drop a few coppers into a, into a savings jar, into a piggy bank. When we've got access to all that wealth, but we're still kind of content with these meager coppers. Or it would be like having Einstein living with us as our personal servant, but we only ever use him to help us do the crossword. Or I think it'd be like having Arnold Schwarzenegger as our best friend and only ever getting him to open a jar that we can't open. Like, it's such a waste of power. And there is so much more that we should expect and utilize and I wonder whether we underestimate, underestimate, underutilize and I wonder why we do that all the things that we've been reading so far in this book of Acts it's history those things happened and you know what, God is the same God today as he was back then and the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit now as he was on the day of Pentecost and he was all the way through the book of Acts he's the same the same power that raised Jesus from the dead He's living in you and me. He's living in us. So what should we expect? And why? Why don't we expect more? Why don't we anticipate that God will move like that today? I wonder if we sometimes think that it's about us. I wonder if we think it's about us. Like it's dependent on us. I wonder if we look through the book of acts and we see all these defining moments and we associate those defining great moments with with those individuals that we read about because there are some great people right we've been looking at some great people as we've looked at, uh, as we've worked our way through the book, book of acts obviously there's peter the Uh, The ex-fisherman who stood up on the day of Pentecost and gave the gospel message, leading 3,000 people. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty great. We've got John who was there with him when the man at the gate was healed. And and he's there all the way through. He's the disciple that Jesus loved. He's the one that was there when Jesus was on the cross. The only disciple that was left at the foot of the cross when Jesus was hanging there. John's pretty amazing. We've got um, Stephen that we've read about, the martyr. Stephen, who was waiting on tables, but eventually he, he shared the great testimony of God. And he was killed for it. And we've got Philip, the evangelist, who went to Samaria and kind of reached a whole city with his evangelism. We've got Cornelius, who we read about last week, who was this obedient guy who went to Peter to explain about the... the uh, who Peter spoke to and uh, became saved we've got Barnabas who was wildly generous who was an encourager and then of course we've got Paul Paul he's not really reached his full potential yet in the book of Acts where we're at he hasn't got there he's still Saul at the moment but we know where that goes great guys great names great people and maybe we read through these chapters we look at these great men doing great things and we say to ourselves well I'm I'm just not a Peter I'm just not a John I'm not a Barnabas I'm not a Cornelius or a Stephen or a Philip. I'm just me. I'm just nobody. And I wonder if we've sat there listening to the sermons, enjoying the sermons, but never really kind of drawing a line to connect what we're reading about to our own life, to our own existence, to our own faith walk, to our own ministry. And we need to do that. We need to draw a line between what we're reading to ourselves to our own lives because that's the way that it changes us and perhaps you have sat there and asked yourself the question well can God use me? can God use me in that way? I've never stood up and I've preached to a crowd I've never written a best selling book I've never been generous like Barnabas I'm not an influencer like Paul can God use me? Turn to the person next to you and say, can God use me? Can God use me? So today, as we continue our journey in chapter 11, you're going to love this. If you're asking the question, can God use me in the same way? Then this is the passage for you. So we're going to be in chapter 11. We're going to look from verse 19 if you have your Bibles. In my Bible, the heading is the church in Antioch. Um, And what we're going to see is the birth of arguably the most important local church and most influential local church in the first century. And what's amazing is we don't even know who started it. All right, so here we go. Acts 11 from verse 19. Let's read this. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only... Among Jews. That's important, only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, or Gentiles also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now you could argue that this church in Antioch that's just been kind of just been, uh, launched, has been planted, is the most significant church in the New Testament. And I'm going to tell you why. There's a few reasons. Firstly, this church in Antioch, it became Paul's home church. The Apostle Paul. Right, We all know the Apostle Paul. This, was his, this became his home church. And this was the church that launched him on his missionary journeys, spreading the message of Jesus across the known world. So that's the first reason. The second reason is it was the first church plant among non-Jews. Now up to now, we've seen the message going out from Jerusalem, out to Judea, out to Samaria. It's gone out beyond, but always it's been going to, to other nations, but to Jewish believers in other nations. And this was the first church planted with non-Jews. Now, we are a church, essentially, of Gentiles, pretty much. There may be some Jewish heritage amongst, amongst us, but we are a church of Gentiles. So this church in Antioch is actually our heritage. Like, it started there, and we are here because of that. The third reason is, that uh, this is an important church, this was the first place, Antioch was the first place that believers were called Christians. Now, we kind of embrace that label. We, we kind of live that. We own it. We wear it as kind of as a badge of honour now. We call ourselves Christians. But it doesn't say they called themselves Christians. It says that they were called Christians. And let me explain to you what that means. It means that the people outside the church, looking at the church in Antioch, were trying to come up with a name for them. And the only, the only reference point they had was about this man who they were preaching about, Jesus Christ. And so by calling them Christians, was like saying they are little Christs. They are Jesus people. That's what they were. They are, they, this started in the church in Antioch. And also another reason why this is an important church is this was the first church that sent out missionaries. Like purposefully. Up to now, people have been sent out as a result of persecution. Like, they've just fleed. They've been fleeing. But this church, um, we saw at the beginning, when we read at the beginning, the first few verses, what did it say? It said, the church scattered went to these places because they were scattered by persecution. But this church, they, they arrived as a result of persecution. But this church, when we get to chapter 13, we'll see this church laying hands on Saul and Barnabas and sending them out to other nations this was the first church to send out missionaries so antioch is a great and influential church but here right at the start i don't know if you noticed i highlighted the words there was no names given there were no uh, celebrities there's no influences there's no bible scholars there's no great people the best description they get is them them that's who he's talking about they are just them doing what Jesus said his disciples would do which is being witnesses of the goodness of Jesus so what do we know about them how can we be like them all right how can we connect ourselves to them well the first thing that we see as we read through is that this them they didn't follow the crowd all right it says those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled to these places spreading the word only among Jews that's what everybody else was doing That's what the crowd was doing. That was the norm. That's what they saw other people do. Maybe that's what they had been doing up to now. But some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. They decided to shift. Now, this wasn't wasn't a brand new idea. We saw last week, God had been preparing the way in Peter... You know, with the vision of the animals coming down. Don't call unclean what I have made clean. And so God has been preparing the way for this to go out to the Gentiles. In fact, God has been preparing the way all the way from Abraham. Thousands of years earlier. This was always God's plan. Not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. What did he say to Abraham? He said, I'm going to bless you. And through you, all nations will be blessed. It was always for every nation. But it started with the Jews. And because these men, these them, decided they weren't going to do what everybody else was doing, and they decided to reach the Gentiles also. And God had been preparing for this. And now the disciples and the believers are starting to realize that this is the way it's going. So the first thing is, First thing is, they didn't follow the crowd. The second thing is about them is they were mission focused. The them, them, they were mission focused. They were focused on the mission. Why did they do this in Antioch? Well, they turned up, they did a survey of the town, they checked the demographics of the town, they decided that the people in Antioch were the same as them, they decided that they actually, these were people who could be reached. No, that's not how it worked. They were fleeing for their lives. They went to Antioch because that's where life took them. Life took them there and they did what they'd been called to do where life had taken them. They were mission focused. You don't have to go to exotic places to be a missionary. You can be a missionary where life takes you, where you are. So why are we here in Ferndown? God has brought us here. God has planted us here. I love what it says in Esther. And this is a, my heart for this church. It says, uh, maybe you have been brought for such a time as this. Maybe you are here for such a time. And I really believe that about this church, this local church, here in this place. We have been brought here for such a time as this. It's not by accident. It's not a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. And if that's true then we've got some work to do. We've got a mission to accomplish here. Inferno. we don't get to wait Wait for the right circumstances. We don't wait till we get older. We don't wait till we get healthier. We don't wait to get over our current hurdles. We don't wait to get through our current storms. We don't wait to sort out a few things first, whether it's jobs or our schools. We don't need to wait to be a missionary. We don't need to wait to be mission-focused. We see where life has brought us, and we go, I am here right now, and I am going to fulfill the mission that I've been given where I am with the people who are around me right now. And these people, them, they were constantly looking for ways to bring Jesus into their conversation. Jesus was their whole life. They would meet somebody and they would bring Jesus into it. They would just touch base with someone and they'd bring Jesus into it. When I was growing up in my home, you all have met my parents. There they are, sat right there. They brought Jesus into everything, which is great, right? As a child, I used to get so frustrated. I would, and and it's wrong of me, I know, but I would bring my mates home from school and I knew that if I did pretty soon the conversation with my parents would turn to Jesus and so I don't always talk about Jesus but now I realize actually that's the way we should be he should so affect us he should so fill us it should so change us that every moment every conversation every person we interact with every action every thought should be filled Jesus. That's our mission to be witnesses. These people, them, they carried the Holy Spirit everywhere. They preached Jesus everywhere they went to, anyone who would listen. And there's a famous saying, you may have heard it. I think it's attributed to St. Francis. He said, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. And it sounds great, it sounds clever, it sounds spiritual. And I understand it. It's right that our actions should line up with the message that we preach. But let me tell you, words are necessary. Words are ne- If we're going to be witnesses... We've got to use words. We've got to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Our actions and the way we live will then confirm what we say, but we definitely need to use words. It would be a pretty terrible witness, wouldn't it? Who was on, in a courtroom, s- sat there, and he didn't use any words. Okay, Mr. Smith, can you tell me what you saw on the night of the murder? No, no, no. You were there in the room on the night of the murder. Tell everybody, tell the courtroom what you saw. He's like, no, you've got to speak. You've got to be a witness. You've got to explain what you know, what you've, what's happened to you, what transformation has happened. You've got to explain about the miracle of salvation. You've got to explain about Jesus. We need to use words. So first thing about them is they didn't follow the crowd. Second about them is they were mission focused. The third thing about them is they were empowered by God. It wasn't about them. They were empowered by God. What does it say? It says, the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The Lord's hand was with them. Now Luke, Dr. Luke, he's writing this. He doesn't really write much about these guys who have started this church. He doesn't describe their physical attributes. He doesn't describe their mental acuity. He doesn't describe their personality. He doesn't go into detail about their gifts. He doesn't say they are amazing gifted speakers and evangelists. He just calls them them and he mentions this one thing. The Lord's hand was with them. And guess what? That's enough. That is enough. You don't need me to be a great personality. You don't need me to be this good looking. You just need the Lord's hand to be on me or on you. That's all that is necessary in order to do what we need to do. The Lord's hand should be on us. It's enough. This is where their success came from. And this phrase, the hand of the Lord... Or the hand of God. I looked into it because I just thought it jumped out at me. And there's so many references throughout the whole of scripture about the hand of the Lord. In some passages it talks about the hand of the Lord being against somebody. Or being against nations. And when that happens, man that's bad news for that person. But often the hand of the Lord is for somebody. Or is on somebody. Or is with somebody. And when that happens, that is good news. Let me give you some examples. The prophet Ezekiel he gave some great prophecies but when he begins his prophecies so often he begins with this phrase the hand of the Lord was with me or the hand of God was on me or the hand of the Lord came upon me and then he delivers his prophecy why is that it's because the hand of the Lord represents the presence of God it represents the wisdom of God it represents the capacity of God all coming onto a person that's why we need the hand of the Lord on us let me give you a few more examples 1 Kings 18 then the hand of the Lord came Upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I know I'm just kind of picking a verse out, but in this moment, Ahab is in a chariot being pulled by horses. But the hand of the Lord came upon his Elijah, and he ran ahead. So the hand of the Lord represents kind of supernatural power, supernatural strength to accomplish things that we can't accomplish in our own strength. Another example, 1 Chronicles 4 verse 10. Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm that it may not pain me. And God granted him what he requested. The hand of the Lord, it represents protection. It represents safety. It represents covering. Another example, Ezra 7 verse 6. Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested. Why? Because the hand of the Lord of God was on him. The hand of the Lord, it represents favor. It represents justice. It represents mercy. It represents blessing. It represents things just going your way. When the hand of the Lord is on you, you will notice that things go your way. Another one, Ezra 8. Then we journeyed from the river Ahava on the 12th of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was over us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. The hand of the Lord represents deliverance and protection from our enemies. Particularly spiritual enemies. It represents guidance and help to stay on the right path. One more, Luke 1 verse 66. This is talking about John the Baptist. That all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be and the hand of the lord was with him because the hand of the lord it represents an anointing for a special purpose and you know what the hand of the lord is on each of us for a special purpose that's what acts 1 verse 8 tells us the spirit of god the power of god coming on us so that we can be witnesses the hand of the lord is on us we carry god in us so we carry all these things In us too, deliverance, protection, favor, justice, mercy, blessing, safety, supernatural strength and power, the presence and the wisdom of God. All these things are a result of the hand of God being on us. So, where is our expectation for our life to be filled with power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? We should have a huge expectation because our God is huge. Final thing before we wrap up this message and his current series all of the leaders mentioned here in acts and in the bible all the great names that we all know about they all started as a them they all started as just them we know don't we that Peter was a simple fisherman like thousands of others in the region when Jesus called him as was John we know that David looked after his family's sheep when he was anointed for what was to come. We know that Moses, he was an old man, living in the wilderness, not eloquent in speech at all, when God called him. We know that Gideon tells us it was the least in his family, and his family was the least in the tribe, at least, at least in the tribe, when God called him and used him. We know that Joseph was a prisoner. We know that Stephen and Philip started out waiting on tables. We know that Barnabas, man, there's so much to say about Barnabas. He wasn't someone who who kind of became great himself, but he brought greatness out in others. We're going to look at that as we work our way through Acts. And then, of course, Saul, who became the apostle Paul. Let's just spend a few minutes looking at Saul's story. Where was Saul, when all this is going on in Antioch, where is Saul? He's at home in Tarsus. You see, Barnabas has been sent from Jerusalem to check out this new church in Antioch that is thriving, this church that is reaching non-Jews and is growing healthy, and is filled with the power and spirit of God. And Barnabas... Turns up to Antioch, sees what they're doing, and he gets so excited. He's like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is a great church. Look what these guys have started. This is, this is so good. What does he do? He doesn't go back to Jerusalem to tell them all about it. He thinks to himself, well, this place, Antioch, is a bit of a crossroads. It's, uh, it joins the Middle East to Asia, like it's a, it's a trade route, it's, there's a river port that connects to the sea, so there's lots and lots of hustle and bustle going on in this place, there's lots of people from many nations coming into Antioch, and he thinks, I know who we need in this place. We need Saul. Better call Saul. Somebody got the reference. Yeah. Better call Saul, he thinks. And... So he goes, what does it say? He goes to find Saul. Let's give you, let me give you Saul's timeline. Saul, we read about a couple of weeks ago, he, he had that transformational experience on the road to Damascus. He was headed there to persecute Christians, to imprison them. Jesus meets him on the road, and he gets saved. What does he do then? He spends three years in Arabia and Damascus. He says, preaching the word. Then he goes to Jerusalem... To meet with the disciples. They're a bit frightened of him. They're not sure that it's legitimate. He's he's committed lots of acts of violence in the past. So they're worried about it. Barnabas vouches for Saul. Brings him before the, the disciples. and Vouches for him. But then Saul goes back home to Tarsus. And he's there for seven years. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's making tents. That's what his job was. Making tents in Tarsus. He's just a them. At the moment. He's just one of the crowd but then Barnabas thinks I know what we need here in Antioch Barnabas went to Tarsus to look he didn't know where he was he had to go and look for him look for Saul and when he found him he brought him to Antioch so for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch so Barnabas is seeing what is happening And he goes and gets Saul. Saul is not even on the radar. It's been seven years. He's not prominent. Barnabas goes and looks for him. And it's here in Antioch that Saul makes this transition from being Saul to being a them. To being Paul the apostle, the great man of God. So if you're someone who says to yourself, can God use me? I'm just, I'm not great. I'm not smart. I'm not influential. You know, it's true. Maybe you won't be a Peter. Maybe you won't be a John. Maybe you won't be a Philip or a Stephen or a Barnabas or a Paul. Maybe you won't be a Martin Luther or a William Tyndale or a Billy Graham or a Cory ten Boom or a Charles Spurgeon or a George Muller. Maybe that's true. But you can be a them. You can be one of them. If you can... Choose not to follow the crowd but instead listen to the voice and the promptings of of God who is a personal God to the Holy Spirit inside you. If you can choose to be mission focused taking seriously Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations to be witnesses of his name bringing Jesus into your conversations all the time into the whole of your life. If you can choose to live as if the hand of God was on you And all the blessings and power and supernatural things that that means for us. If you can choose to live like that, then we can be a them. And maybe, just maybe, we'll we'll see something growing and healthy and magnificent. I believe that's what God has got for us here in Ferndown. And I think you believe it too. Let's be them. Let's expect to see God move miraculously in our lives and in this town. Let me just pray and I'm going to hand over to Nikki. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the inspiring nature of it. Thank you that it, sometimes it just leaves us breathless because it calls us to huge things. And sometimes we feel like we're not big enough Lord, I pray that you will just make the truth known and real to us that we don't have to be big enough. In fact, you call us because we're not big enough because it's your spirit in us that is gonna make us and help us be what you're calling us to be. Help us to accept that truth and to live that truth out in all the days and the weeks and the months and the years of our life starting today. In Jesus' name, amen.